welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is Rob Kovacs on the piano. He goes by 88-bit online, and he does absolutely fantastic arrangements of 8-bit music on keyboard. We started off our conversation by talking about how he made the decision to record himself in the first place, playing his arrangements and putting them online. It was like an aha moment, but it was like a bit of a process leading up to that. In like 2010, I made an arrangement of Airman on piano, which took forever. <laughs> like <laughs> trying, trying to get find a MIDI that was accurate. Uh, that, that that's all I knew how to do it at the time. Trying to find a MIDI that was accurate. Learn the, all three voices um, from the original score, and then make it a piano arrangement and put it on YouTube. Took a while, but uh, it, I was really excited about it, and it, and it got some notoriety. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make. I'm going to do this with all the Mega Man 2 soundtrack. And um, I hadn't made another one since. So <laughs> the songs in that game are so so difficult uh, for the for the piano. Um, it's just so fast, so syncopated. And there's each... We, we were talking about Bach a little bit beforehand, but each voice is like Bach on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's like rock rhythmically so intense. and um, But it's really challenging and fun to play. But... Uh, I hadn't succeeded at making the whole soundtrack yet. And then uh, a student of mine, a piano student of mine, wanted to learn Bloody Tears from Castlevania II. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, let's do it. So so we, I found a, a decent MIDI, and we, and I made it together we made an arrangement that fit his um, level of playing. And uh, I was like, man, I could do a really cool arrangement of this if I just take all the voices and play them as is. got doubled octaves in there and then I can thicken it out with more you know doubling more octaves but the notes themselves without even really have to change them sound great on piano <laughs> so made up a quick arrangement and then at that moment I was like oh man I should just do all the games <laughs> or <laughs> not just not just limited to Mega Man 2 let's let's do a bunch yeah and so that that was kind of the moment I was like I'm just gonna do as many as I can here and uh, it really took a couple years after that till I actually made my next like first video mm. which was of uh, the adventures of Lolo random game I, I never played when I was a kid but got sick and, and was like someone someone said you should play this game so I started playing it and kind of just love the music especially the ending theme which I don't like I'd never heard of in my life because that game for one is really difficult and it's the same song every level until you beat the whole game which is at 50 levels then you get rewarded with this like Latin uh, inspired jazz type song that just kicks butt <laughs> I was like man people should hear this 
that's one of the inspirations about this whole project is there's, so, there's such great music in the NES era alone that is, you know, if it's not from Mario, Zelda, or Mega Man, Castlevania, people don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, and if you, of course, if you've never played the game, if you weren't a gamer, you certainly don't know about it. So one of the goals is to try and shed light on some of this lesser known music. did some Marble Madness stuff. Uh, talk to me about that. I loved that game. Uh, that was one of the few games from that era that I played a tiny bit of because I didn't do a lot of gaming when I was that that age. But I did play the tiniest bit of that and uh, I, I, that music is fabulous. So. Do you know if you played what, do you know what console you played it on or if you played it on the arcade? <laughs> I played it on an Apple computer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember what the music is from that because every the, the original was an arcade game. Uh, the music was composed by. It's mostly credited for, to Brad Fuller, from what I understand, but also a guy named Hal Cannon, um, who I know nothing about. I, I, <laughs> I say this every time we talk about the game, but I can't find anything about Hal Cannon. He also did like Paper Boys, which is a nice, popular, yeah, BGM song. So if anybody knows anything about Hal Cannon, I would love to get in touch with him and, and, and interview him or talk to him. Uh, Brad Fuller, unfortunately, has since passed away, but uh, the music is is fantastic. And um, it's originally from an arcade game. One of the first game arcade games to use a DX7 Yamaha-style sound chip. And mm. I feel like he really, or they, really just were having fun with the sounds that they could make. And, and a video game never quite sounded like this. And no video game soundtrack quite sounds like Marvel Madness. I first heard it though. I grew up with it playing it um, on the Nintendo, okay. which uh, is a little different than the arcade version. Naturally, there's the limitations. You can't get all the voices. You can't get you know, only up to, to three notes. Um, so they took out a bunch of notes. And uh, um, also interesting is the person who made that port is David Wise, legendary, famous uh, composer, mm-hmm. Donkey Kong Country, Battletoads, all kinds of random stuff. Uh, RC Pro M, another favorite game of mine. That that port and it's really interesting how he changed some of the music from the original. Like even some of the melodies are a little different. But he put his own little spin into it. So I don't know that that music always just kind of stood out to me, especially level three, which is just like wild and like sinister sounding. <laughs> it's and like circus gone mad.
And it works so great on the piano. Uh, it's like a contemporary piano piece. And it just, I love playing. I, I love talking about it. I love playing it. And <laughs> I'm hoping to get an official recording of it very, very soon. Nice. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about your setup. I love how you shoot your videos and you've got a neat little studio going on there. So talk to me about, you know, how all that goes. Yeah, I've got my um, baby grand piano here, which I'm hoping to upgrade soon. It, uh, it is very limited. With, as far as classical playing, it's a Baldwin from the 1980. And it is, I, I, I love hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the detail that I'm trying to get cannot, does not quite come out in this piano. But as far as the videos go, I, um, I've got you know two mics set up here. Fairly close mic, which is a type of sound I, I like. And I think it fits well for the NES arrangements, similar to like a Glenn Gould type sound, mm-hmm. um, not the kind you'd hear for like a Rachmaninoff, which or you know classical romantic style where it's more kind of washy, um, and you're getting the room sound as well. I, I like a pretty close mic sound, mm-hmm. so you can hear all the detail. And mm-hmm. then video wise, just um, uh, I shoot the the video and the recording at the same time, and then I do make mistakes at times, so I I can then go back and punch in a mistake and and fix that. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, I'm, not, I'm not perfect here, uh, but I no. want the I, I want the representation of the music to be as perfect as I can make it. Well, yeah, and I mean they're really complex melodies to play. This is difficult stuff with intricate counterpoint. So talk to me about the complexity there. I could talk about that all day. Um, <laughs> so I'll say real quick, just the limitation of the NES shapes how composers made their music. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about that real quick because I think it's important to know. Essentially, you you have five voices that a composer could work with, or five channels. One of them is like a, just a sample channel, like really crude samples. So that wasn't used too often. Once in a while it was for music, but it was pretty much not used. The mm-hmm. other channel is, is noise. So it's just, you know, no mm-hmm. pitch, just white noise type sounds. And then you have the other three channels that can make a pitch. Um, two pulse channels and a triangle channel. So they can really only play up to three notes at once. So a lot of composers use a melody, one one channel for the melody, one channel for the bass, and then one channel for a um, counterpoint melody. That's how it's most often used. So they jammed a lot of music, though, in those three channels. They, <laughs> w- was also unique. It's one of the earliest examples of um, computer music, certainly commercially consumed p- computer music. So they didn't have to worry about human playability. They could pretty much make the NES chip play as fast as it wanted. Right. <laughs> it could make leaps as much as wide as you want, voice crossing however you want. It, it, it could do, it was a lot of power for, for a composer to not have to worry about the pesky human playability problem. <laughs> so trying to rearrange it for, so anyone who plays early video game music is, you're going to get pretty good trying to play this stuff at, at speed. Um, it's definitely a challenge. that's also what draws me to it is trying to find a way to get all three voices in just two hands usually the tricks are uh, a lot of times I'll end up that middle voice trying to use both thumbs to kind of sure get get that get that middle voice <laughs> so let's talk about just your life as a pianist because you're classically trained. So talk to me about when you started playing and where you went to school, and then we'll we'll go from there. 
I uh, started playing really young, just tinkering around. I was like three or four. My sister also played. She was 12 years older, and she she knew like five songs. That, okay. Like Music Box Dancer, Moonlight Sonata, and I loved when she would play, and um, that inspired me. So I took lessons. Uh, one of my first jobs was playing for tap dance and ballet classes when I was like 14. Nice. Um, so I, I picked up to it pretty quick, and I definitely liked both rock music and classical music. So I, I took from different teachers growing up, uh, learning, learning a little bit of both. And then I went to college for music at Baldwin-Wallace uh, University and ended up studying music theory because I wasn't sure if I wanted to compose or if I wanted to be a performer. And I liked theory, so that was kind of in the middle. Yeah, I could kind of learn a little bit of, of everything. And then a, a big moment in my life in my senior year of, of music or senior year of college was learning about Steve Reich and performing some Steve Reich music. Yes. Uh, I found out about the piece Piano Phase. I hated it at first, and then I understood <laughs> what was going on. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is the most incredible thing I've, so let's, I've ever heard. So let's talk about that for a minute. And there's a video of you playing it, too. Uh, uh, Steve Reich is a minimalist composer. And uh, so talk a little bit about what that means and uh, what is so unique about that piece, because it's, it's cool. That piece is, yeah. So it's called Piano Phase. It's for two pianists on two different pianos. They both play the same 12-note pattern, and it loops. And then one person is instructed to speed up ever so slightly um, so they kind of get out of sync or out of phase, and then they lock back in one-eighth note apart. And then as a listener, you hear like almost an echo effect first, and then that, that process keeps happening. Uh, they get further and further apart. You hear different resulting melodies happening and it's the same thing over and over again, but the relationship is constantly changing. But it's made for two pianists, so... Yeah, it's made for two pianists. And um, up until then, I always loved the idea of hand independence. So I would try and learn different parts of rock songs, like the bass and like a guitar part, try and mix them together. Or just simply like blues, like you're playing a bass line. Solo over the right hand, that, with the right hand that could do something um, totally different. So hand independence was really interesting to me. And the idea of trying to do that on both hands, I was like, well, well, that's like the ultimate in hand independence. So I practiced it and, and kind of figured out how to do it. And uh, eventually was like, okay, it's my senior year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perform, perform this. And uh, reached out to Steve Reich's manager to see if, like, has this been done before? And he said, no, you can, you can uh, promote it as like a world premiere. It's like, all right. <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then uh, then my friend, my friend Gary was like, you should ask Steve to come. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. He's like, yeah, do it. I was like, all right, fine. So um, I did. And then long story short, we ended up raising money and, and got Steve Reich to come out to our school <laughs> for a day. And it was like a whole like Steve Reich day. We made, um, he did talks with, with students and uh, it was a whole event. We did a whole concert. We also played music for 18 musicians. Nice which was my like thesis. So my senior oh, wow. recital bl blossomed into something <laughs> uh, way beyond I, that I was ever ready for. It was the most nerve-wracking. I mean, I've never been more nervous in my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yes, it is that, that video is on, on YouTube, and uh, I, I'm very, very proud of it to, to have done something like that. And it, it, I think it does, it's important in my like pianistic story, I guess.
So uh, you said that that was really uh, important to you, that discovery, um, Steve Reich's music or minimalism in general or... Specifically Steve Reich's music. Yeah. Uh, I like minimalism in general, but but I'm not a huge fan of Philip Glass. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I respect his music. I don't I don't find myself listening to it as much. Um, they come at it from different... You know, they were both... They worked together and they influenced one another. And Philip Glass comes at it from a different perspective, and I find the repetition less engaging, whereas Steve Rice's music, it's about the relationship of at least two things. So there's always some sort of relationship um, happening, mm-hmm. and, and that is never static. That is constantly evolving. Uh, before Steve Reich, who were some of your loves in terms of composers that you loved to play, I would say? Certainly Chopin. Absolutely loved Chopin. I enjoyed playing Liszt and Rachmaninoff, but didn't really love it. Scriabin, I absolutely love. Mm. Uh, absolutely love Scriabin. Prokofiev is a lot of fun. Very challenging. Yes. Uh, Ravel is not. Uh, Ravel is, is one of my absolute favorite, probably my favorite uh, romantic composer. Um, I don't play. I don't play enough of his stuff. <laughs> but on Ondine and the whole uh, Gaspard de la Nuit is is yeah. probably my favorite piano piece of all time. Well, it's apparently the hardest, right? I That's mean, right. That's a, it does have that <laughs> reputation. It does. What do you feel about that? Scarbo, that movement Scarbo. I've never played it, so I, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't say. I mean, there's definitely plenty of hard piano pieces. I've I, I yes. never played it, though. I can't, I can't say. The amount of control necessary to pull off something like Undine with all the flowing arpeggios while you have a melody going on at the same time. Bay with with this background bells happening and, and just the depth, you know, of the just the depth that's composed in the music that you have to as a pianist create. You can't just play everything. Obviously, you can't play everything the same volume, but you have to give the sense that there's multiple things happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah takes a lot of a lot of control for sure. talk about this game that you're writing music for because I got to listen to some of it and it's okay. great and oh, thank you. you're getting you're writing it on a really great keyboard too a, a, like a super like epic like just vintage profit keyboard so talk to us about that and writing this music yeah so the the game I'm scoring is called stray light and I'm exclusively writing it almost all the music using a profit five which is a uh, one of the first polyphonic synths uh, that you can, so it can play up to five notes at once. Pretty wild. <laughs> and um, it has just a great sound, a great warm mm-hmm. synth sound, and there's, it's just magic. Like I, I've had it now for I don't know, ten about ten years, wow. and I you know, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still figuring things out. And, and, but that's what's fun about it. Like you, you do something different. You're like oh, there's this. 
this sound I never could have imagined. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's part of the fun of it. And uh, writing for VR is really fun because it's kind of like uncharted territory. This game in particular is mostly kind of, you're kind of in space. It's a, um, it's a really fun game. You, you kind of get to fly around space and kind of fling yourself using this, uh, what we call the stray light. This thing kind of propels you in this abstract space world. And you know, motion sickness is a problem in VR, but mm-hmm. uh, the fact that you're in space and there's not like a wall whizzing by you, yeah, um, you just feel like you're floating and there's, there's no motion sickness, which is we're really excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's also no like foley or like sound, like atmosphere sounds that I have to worry about. So I can oh. pretty much take control of all the sound. Yeah, there's the sound effects, you know, when you pass by some bigger objects that, that emit some sound, which I'm doing as well. But I've got a lot of freedom and control to make the, the, the music. And one of the inspirations you've talked, actually you just talked about um, Hip Tanaka recently and Metroid. Yeah. Uh, he, from what I've read, his concept of that game was the music was the sound of the world, the sound of the game. That was the atmosphere. Hmm. And I thought that was such a unique idea. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my mindset for this. So each new level, each, each world, the sound of the world is the music. How did you get connected with uh, that, the team making the game? There's five of us. Two of us, uh, well, three, me and two other guys, uh, Ben, and, ben Barr and uh, Len Ganley worked on films together. Oh, we did cool. a lot of we, yeah, we did a lot of forty eight hour film projects, which is a blast. Wow! And I recommend it to anyone because especially if you have like a perfectionistic mindset or something, this will force that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> especially the music part, because you get you know you get the final cut maybe a few hours or the, or the last day, and you have to shove everything in the last minute. You can wow. write stuff throughout the process, but you don't get to see it until the end. Oh wow! So that was great training for me. And and a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So that's how the three of us met. And then Len was kind of the linchpin for the whole group because he met Dan Siri and Chris Herbison, the two programmers who have been doing games for a while. And he brought me and Ben in to the team for a global game jam. Similar idea. You get two days to make a game. And uh, Straylight was the first thing that we did and uh, made like a concept level and... I had made a song real quick, and uh, they're like, "Okay, this is really cool. Let's let's develop this into something further." So, I mean, obviously, you're a gamer. I mean, are you gaming these days to keep busy, or are you too no. overwhelmed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only gaming I do is really uh, NES stuff. Once in a while, I'll sit down and play some some random NES game. I've been playing, uh, someone recommended Goonies 2. Someone in my Discord was like, you should check out Goonies 2. I was like, all right. And I've been having a little fun with that. I stay away from all like the new stuff. I don't, I have a Super Nintendo and an Oculus Quest and that's, that's it. (laughs) I, yeah, I definitely would get sucked into the bigger games. Like, like Half-Life 2 just took so much time back uh, of my life back in the day that I was like, okay, I need to, I need to not play too many games. So I love games, absolutely. And I would like to play them more, but I don't play them any right now, which is all right. So what's next for 88-bit then? What are you working on? Um, what do you want to post uh, in the future? I'm working on the entire Final Fantasy One soundtrack. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's really exciting because, uh, I mean, it's Nobuo Uematsu and it's his first 
it's not a fantasy game. So you you hear the genesis of a lot of the other music mm-hmm. uh, from the series. It's ex- I'm excited to give that music some some uh, uh, some light. And then I have a, quite a backlog of games I want to do. Bomberman, Bubble Bobble, Zelda 2. Uh, oh my gosh, I could just, yeah, Double <laughs> Dragon. Just, there's a lot. Yeah. But one, you know, one video at a time is the idea. college you chose theory just because it was a good middle ground between you know performing or composing um when you because I did my master's in music theory and so you know when I uh for me when I started studying 20th century uh you know atonal theory and set theory and matrices and all that stuff that made me fall in love with music from that era and I didn't ever anticipate enjoying learning any of that. So I'm curious if you had any aha moments like that as a theorist or any favorite eras that you liked to study music from or any of that. I really studied a lot of minimalism once, once I figured that out, at least a lot of Steve Reich. Um, mm. and you could, what's interesting about that is you can hear the theory, like, and that was kind of his thing. You can hear the process, what's happening. Sure. It, everything was up, up front. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so hidden. Uh, you can watch a pattern change and build up over t- over time, and you can hear the relationship change. That was really cool. I did kind of love the concept of twelve tone music. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't love any twelve tone music, but <laughs> I I do love the concept. Um, the goal, you, you know, uh, was to make music atonal or pantonal. It was really, I guess, what shape uh, Sherman yeah. thought. Yeah. Uh, every every in, every note has its is a tonic. Yep. Um, I don't know if anyone hears it that way. <laughs> I know. We just hear it as A total. But um, I do love 12-tone. I did, uh, so in, as a songwriter, I did take uh, a 12-tone row and make a song out of a 12-tone row, which I call the 12-tone song. Um, <laughs> it's not amazing. It's not recorded yet. I've, I've played it live. Uh, and basically what I'm doing is, is taking a row and then layering it five times to, uh, to make different chords. So okay. it's just a series of major nine chords. Nice. <laughs> Throw a melody on top of it, and it it works. I, it kind of it, it follows the rules, and it and it kind of works. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope you record that someday. <laughs> I I will soon. I will soon. I've gotten to work with a lot of people through doing or, and meet a lot of people through the 88-bit thing. You've traveled a lot too and gotten to perform at places and such, right? Yeah, I've gotten to travel quite a bit at uh, different conventions, MAGFest, PAX South, VGM Con we were talking about mm-hmm, earlier. Mm-hmm. The very first con I did, I got to meet um, uh, Raheem Jarbo or Mega Ran, 
who nice. is a nerdcore rapper and just an amazing, brilliant person. Yeah. And I, I met him at a con in Classic Game Fest in Texas, and I had heard about him. The only, I heard about him because somebody wrote about him in a paper. Uh, there's an <laughs> event called um, NACVIGAM, but stands for the North American Conference for Video Game Music, which is great. It's once a year. It's very academic, and it's a chance for uh, theorists and musicologists uh, to present their papers on video game music. So somebody wrote a paper about Megaran. I was like, wow. Who is this? So I got, I got to check him out. And we were doing the same con. And um, I introduced myself and I was like, hey, I noticed you don't have a band. If you want anybody to play with you, um, I, I'd be happy to jump in. I learned some of your music. And he's like, all right, okay. Uh, probably a little skeptical of who I was. He, he saw who, who, I mean, that I was on the, the list and everything. Yeah, yeah. Performers. But he, let me, he had me come up and, and play with him for... Uh, one of his freestyles and then stayed on for his last track. And then that started our relationship. I ended up going on tour with him this past fall, although on the West Coast, which was awesome with him and another guy named Sky Blue. And and I'm working on a record with him now. Uh, he's got a record called Forever Famicom, and he's doing a re-release of that. Oh, nice. It's pre- I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty great, um, just having the chance to work with him and a lot of other musicians and composers and... YouTubers. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. The community is pretty great. Absolutely. Like the best community that I've ever met or been a part of. (laughs) It's uh, from the very first con, the first MAGFest. It was just so, everyone is so warm and welcoming and just wants to have a good time. And we all Mm -hmm. share a love of video games and video game music. And it's really a great community. you so much for the chat it was so great to talk with you you're so welcome i'm so uh, honored to be on your show thanks for listening to episode 143 of level with emily reese you can learn more about rob kovacs and i highly recommend you do in a couple of spots robkovacsmusic.com and 88bitmusic.com the playlist you'll find at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. <laughs>